welcome to another episode of the Miles Offside podcast, where we talk a little bit of football and a whole lot of nothing. I am Oscar Puente, also known as Footy from Afar, and with me as always is my co-host, he's still nursing a hangover from the last time we recorded, it's Chuck Bailey. He's not only nursing a hangover, he might be nursing a semi. Ooh! (laughs) Tenuous link. Hey. And with us on the other line, as always, is our super producer. He just spent the last 24 hours commenting it's coming home on everyone's Facebook posts. It's Ian Stimson. Oh, it's coming home. That's all I've been doing. (laughs) All over Facebook and Twitter, I'll be defriended by everyone. Yeah, well, everyone who you had left right at this point. Can't be that many. Yeah, I was going to say, you have to be friended first. (laughs) Oh, understood. It's coming home, though. (laughs) So today we're going to talk about the four quarterfinal matches, how the teams did, what teams are going through to the semis, preview the semis a bit, um, and then obviously spend a good bit of time on England. And we will not be able to record probably before the final, so we're going to try to preview um, different potential final matchups that we might see, uh, put down our last picks for who's going to win this thing, who's going to get the golden boot, the golden ball, etc. And that should wrap it up. So, to start off, let's check in again. It's been a while. How's that World Cup fever, gents? In a, in a state of blissful curiosity. I don't, I don't know right now. I mean, the quarterfinals, they were amazing. Um, again, the, the quality of this World Cup, we've said it every single time we've recorded. Like, we've enjoyed so many games. Like, there's been a few stinkers here or there. Um, there's still only been one nil-nil? Yep. Ugh, bloody French. Um, <laughs> and, and yeah, it's just been so, so good. So, World Cup fever. No, I'm still at like a solid 10. Like, it's it's just so good. And it, and it seems like it started so, so long ago. Like, I was trying to think the other day about Russia and they beat Saudi Arabia 5-0. And that seems like a year ago to me right now. Yeah, I think it was 24 days ago or something like that. But it's just been so many football matches that it does feel like uh, it was a different person back then. I don't even know. Yeah, I feel we've all (laughs) grown. Chuck, I'm with you. You know, despite the obvious disappointment after Germany got knocked out, I thought I'd be a lot less into this World Cup. But it's just been so entertaining, just so fun. Like, I don't know. We talked about this, yeah, like you said in the last few episodes. It's just been the most fun World Cup Ever. I don't know that I agree necessarily that the matches have been good. Um, I think there's been a lot of mediocre play, but I think that it's been completely overshadowed by just dramatic moments and fun results and all that sort of stuff. How about you, Simmers? How you feeling? Yeah, it's, I mean, it is hard to know how to feel because just never been in this position before. But, well, I mean, I, I was six in Italia 90, so... I just I just don't know how to feel about it. It's insane. But yeah, it has been great. It's been really entertaining. This World Cup's been an absolute gift. I mean, we talked about my son last uh, last week. And like you say, he's just spoiled by it. It's just, it's not like this. It's not like this, but it's, it's been brilliant. Yeah, I think Chuck wasn't even alive the last time. England were in a semi-final, so yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't going to rub it in too much, but yeah, I was born in not to not to hate on you, Stimmers, or to hate on potential <laughs> no listeners out there. I was born in 1991, and so <laughs> so apart from Euro '96, which I I don't really France '98 is the first big tournament that I really remember. 
Um, so Euro 96 and getting to the semis then, um, I don't really have any memories of that. Even though my first word and my mum maintains it was Gaza. Um, there we go. And I, and I, had, a, I had a Paul Gascoigne 96 shirt, which I think is still at my parents' house somewhere. Uh, the old eight gas going, but but no. So so in my lifetime, I've never had it. You know, France '98 was yeah. obviously Beckham lashing out at Simeone and and crashing out at the round of 16, and then it's just been kind of mediocrity ever since. So it's it's so bizarre. Yeah, 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 for sure. I that, I think France '98 is also the first major tournament that I remember. The Euros weren't on TV back in the day in the US, so the World Cups were really all we had. Um, and France 98, I would have been 10 years old. So it was the first one that I really remember. Like I, you know, USA 94 was here and I remember there being like excitement about it. Um, yeah. but I don't remember any of the matches really. Um, but I do vividly remember watching France 98 and the final and all the drama around Ronaldo being in the lineup and out of the lineup and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then O2, like watched pretty much every match of O2. That was the first one that I really, really was like a huge soccer fan for. But yeah, this is, I mean, this is unheard of for a whole generation of England fans, really, being in the semifinals. It's new territory. Um, it's got to be equal parts exciting and terrifying. But we'll get to all that. We'll get to England in, uh, in part two of the pod. But let's start off going chronological order. Um, let's talk about France and Uruguay. That was the first quarterfinal we had. On Friday morning, um, it finished two to zero to France. Is that right? Yeah. Who predicted yep. that? <laughs> I don't think anybody did. Did they? I think my alter ego predicted that one. <laughs> quite, <laughs> quite proud of myself for that. Calling a two nil France victory. Does it count as a prediction if you can't remember making it? I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> does it yeah does it make it worse or does it make it better who knows it makes it better probably <laughs> you should just get out of your own way and just speak from the heart yeah i guess i mean from a production point of view i've insisted that you're drunk for every pod from now on <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't think my liver or my girlfriend could tolerate that <laughs> just to maintain accuracy <laughs> yeah yeah we'll be sending a fresh bottle of lithuanian jägermeister your way after the final one way or another oh god <laughs> Um, but yeah, it was 2-0 to France. Pretty straightforward win, I would say. Um, somewhat, of the four quarterfinals, I would think it was the most boring of them, or at least the most straightforward. Um, you know, you had the cross on a set piece to go to Varane's header for the goal, mm-hmm. and then uh, the Griezmann shot that really should have been saved by Muslera for the second goal, and France just kind of shut up shop. Uruguay had no idea what to do with attacking especially with Cavani out and uh, a pretty easy 2-0 win for France. France have looked really strong like they haven't really had to shift out of second gear other than like 20 minutes of that Argentina match and they are going they're just steady all the way through. Um, How are you guys feeling about France? They didn't even really have to work in that match because I think both of them even though so the the corner was the first goal Uh, not the corner the free kick for, Mm -hmm. for Varane right and so it's kind of we, we we haven't actually spoken about it on, on this pod and it hasn't come up in quite recent times for, uh, in terms of football analysis I've seen. But zonal defending at corners and free kicks and set pieces, um, I, I, I'm of the mind that it just does not work. Um, and I think that was the perfect example of that because if you watch Griezmann plays the ball in, you've got three Uruguay players staring at the ball 
Um, I'm not entirely sure which defender is going to go up to head it, but he doesn't really attack the ball at all. And Varane just comes out of all of their blind spots and just heads it past all of them. Which for me, in a, in a World Cup and a national team setup, is just terrible, terrible defending and, and just kind of unforgivable. And then you look at the second goal, which Griezmann doesn't even really celebrate because he's a bit like, well, whether he's claiming he's Uruguayan or, or whatever's <laughs> going on. Um, he just hits this kind of speculative shot through open space, about 30 yards out, straight at Muslera. And Muslera kind of ducks out of the way and tries to palm it. And it's, oh, it was just a comedic, carious level kind of mistake. It was just, I think it just kind of flattened that game and it flattened Uruguay. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I'm, it, it did remind me of the Champions League final and carious. Both of them seem to kind of expect a swerve and move to their left. Um, but then the ball never actually went in that direction. It was sort of a knuckling, flat, no-spin ball. And then so they, it just slipped right through their fingers. Except Muslera doesn't even have a concussion to blame <laughs> for it. Whereas Karius <laughs> had no idea where he was in that Champions League final. And yeah, I mean, that just completely took the wind out of Uruguay sales. I think the last 20 minutes, maybe even the last half hour, they just gave up on that match yeah. completely. You know, everybody's talking about the defender who was crying in the wall. With yeah, ten minutes to go, like just exactly. completely given up. But you don't, you don't. That, what does that show to anybody around you? Like that's it, you're fucked. Yeah, like it, it's it. almost like, well, that's it. I'm done trying. I'm not going to bother. I'm just, oh, I'm here. Like that's almost like, oh, if we lose four nil now, you know, it's like it's kind of the same as when Argentina for Croatia's third goal against them in the group stage, where it's it's just very much like a look. We're just going to lose this, and it's ridiculous given how you should want to fight. It's it's all or nothing. You've got if if you do believe that that's going to happen, well, you've got nothing to lose. So you might as well go for it and try and hit hit France and and hit them on the break, get a goal. But to just be there, kind of broken already from a less than spectacular performance from France as well. Super uncharacteristic for Uruguay too. They've always been full of like fight, and I think they were channeling it in the wrong ways. They started getting a lot of yellow cards. They started getting into actual sort of fight situations and. It just got really ugly the whole second half of that match for Uruguay. They just seemed defeated kind of coming in. They did make Lloris work for it in the first parts of the match, like the first 20 minutes. Um, he had that one amazing save where he had to dive low and he you know, mm. got it with his lower hand and had to have a super strong wrist to keep it out. But you know, I think that you saw Cavani's missing presence really affected them a lot. Suarez looked like he had no one to work off of and he was very low energy um this his stats were awful he only had one shot and zero touches in the opponent penalty box wow like that's you know there's just nothing going on there and i think that cavani was doing a lot of the hard pressing from up front for them and also running off the ball creating and passing and just his <clears throat> absence almost had uruguay out before the match even started yeah it was you could tell it was kind of felt on both sides of the of of the game for Uruguay because you lose Cavani as a driving presence up front and that person who can hold up the ball, shift, uh, kick it into gear, play a 40-yard one-two with Suarez. Um, but also for the defence, like he's a very, very strong outball for them. So to not have that presence or that right, we can get it up to him and fair enough, you know, you, you're never going to hit uh, Cavani every time with a 60-yard pass, but at least then he can... 
hold the team up and delay it a bit, give you a bit of a chance to reset your shape and regain a bit of composure so that you can then solidify and go again. And they just didn't have that. And I, and I think it's going to be picked up a lot in, in the press and what have you in papers. But I just think if, you, if you're already breaking down emotionally like that 10 minutes before the end, be it with yellow cards or be it with crying, that's it. You're just done. Yeah, they were. Game over. They, were shows they were beaten on every single level, and you don't even have to be great at knowing the game to to know that. Yeah, I mean, neither of the teams generated more than one xG. It was point four to point seven, um, and I think France. I can't decide if France were smart or if I should be a little bit worried about France, but they have very much played to their opponent level. I think trying to conserve energy, maybe that's the generous version of it. Um, you know, they only, like I just said, they only generated 0.4 of XG. They were equally defensive and content to just let the match play out and the clock run down as Uruguay was. Um, they, had, they had that freak goal for Griezmann, and then they had, you know, the one set-piece goal, but they didn't do much else the rest of the match. They they were very solid. We've talked about them being probably the best defense, um, them or Uruguay, and this this did kind of play out that way. France haven't had to shift out of second gear and they look like they're just going to play all the way to maybe the final. Certainly they already made a semifinal being very defensive, um, which is frustrating because I think France have a really, really good set of attacking players and they could be doing more with them. Um, And I think that the only time they've had to do that was when sort of Argentina gave them no other choice by being so bad and sort of luring them out of their shell um, by creating so much space behind. And we saw Mbappe running around and to sort of bring it to the next quarterfinal. I think that them matching up with Belgium might see a very similar kind of way that that match plays out because Belgium also tend to invite other teams out of their shell and make it for a very open and entertaining match. And I think if France are finally going to actually go and attack and sort of show what they can do in the other direction as opposed to just being very solid and sort of closing down the match. It's going to be against Belgium. Um, So I'm excited to see that because Belgium, obviously, big, big match for the quarterfinals. The the big shocking result, the big super, super exciting match was Belgium-Brazil, Belgium winning 2-1. to Um, Did you happen to catch the highlights of that one? Chuck, what did you think of that match? Um, Yeah, I caught a few of the highlights. And Belgium, you know, playing in a with an actual front three kind of with uh, Lukaku and KDB and Hazard kind of up there and Lukaku having one of the greatest performances um, that's been lauded by everyone for his hold-up play and being able to beat people. It's incredible. I've, I've been kind of critical as, as Ian has as well of Belgium, but I think in that result, I, I firmly shut me up. Um, they've, demolished a Brazil team who traditionally have been high on flair and excitement and ability who in this tournament I think reverted very much to a kind of a much more efficient streamlined workman kind of role like it was more just to get the job done it wasn't really to excite um, or it was just to roll around the floor in some cases Um, and I think for Belgium to just kind of sweep them aside a bit even though it was only a 2-1 Um, I think they outplayed them everywhere. And I think you're exactly right. I think France have been very, very defensive. But if there's one team that will come at them, I don't think Belgium are going to really hold back. 
and that's going to be that's going to mean sorry that France have to come out and go for it because if Belgium go toe to toe, it it could turn into another four three, easily. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping that one turns out to be a very exciting match and not a very sort of boring match because I think you know if France go really defensive and Belgium are afraid of the counterattack and try to play conservatively, then it could play out like France Uruguay. Um, but potentially there could be another Belgium Brazil match there. Um, you know, we did say last time that Brazil were the better team than Belgium through through the uh, World Cup so far, um, and that if Belgium were going to win, it was going to fall on KDB, Hazard, and Lukaku to have the match of their lives, and I think they absolutely did. The three of them were just so spectacular to watch um, in that system, and I do actually want to take a bit of time to talk about the system because I think other than, like, obviously the exciting goals and the counterattack and stuff, the most fascinating th- thing to me watching that match was... Belgium's not only their formation or I guess I should say formations plural but also their tactics um because I haven't seen anything that complicated at a world cup or even a euros before um if you watched the match and you were looking closely you actually saw that they played two completely different systems with players in different positions based on the situation um so when they were on defense and when they were looking to hit Brazil on the break they were playing a 4-3-3 with, weirdly, Nasser Chadley in the central midfield, which he, you know, when the lineups came out, I think I, I on our Twitter account, was very much laughing at Bobby Martinez for being a madman. Yeah. And all of us were joking around yeah. being like, oh, Bobby's going to Bobby. Look, at they're going to get destroyed by <laughs> Brazil now. Egg on our face that Roberto Martinez beats Brazil with a team with Nasser Chadley and fucking Fellaini <laughs> starting. Yeah, Jesus it was, Christ. Someone on- look a dick. <laughs> yeah someone on twitter said that it was like a sunday league manager just rewarding the two guys who scored the weekend before being like yeah sure go run get oh, yeah. or, like, or like when you're a kid and it's like oh it's your birthday you get to be captain today <laughs> like, like that maybe you don't have that in america oscar hence why you're much more competitive at sport but it's very much a thing here in england <laughs> yeah. yeah it was it was a weird lineup for sure and i think everybody even like the smartest people that i follow and and you know read we're like, what the fuck is he doing? But he came out and he just made us all look like fools. Um, in that first half, I think Belgium genuinely played Brazil off the pitch. They were up 2-0 and they fully deserved to be. Um, you know, they had in defense, again, that 4-3-3 with Vertonghen kind of playing left back, but playing very centrally. Chadley in the central of midfield with Witzel and uh, Fellaini. And then the front three was crazy. It was a false nine system with Lukaku playing right wing, which he had done a few times for Everton under Bobby Martinez before, but never to any particular success. Um, And then he had De Bruyne playing a false nine, which was super weird to see, especially given how deep they'd been playing him the whole World Cup leading up to that. But it matched up really well with Brazil's 4-3-3 because now it sort of sucked out the two central defenders and he isolated Lukaku out wide, who was just bossing the defense and had the match of his life. Um, but they were kind of going back and forth between that and the system you more would have expected given the players that were starting, which is a 3-4-3. So meaning three central defenders, two central mids, two wide wing backs, and then three attackers. That was when they were in possession for longer periods, of, uh, longer spells of time. Um, Chadley was playing wing back, which is what makes a little more sense for him. And then the front three had Lukaku central and then De Bruyne out wide, which made, again, a lot more sense. Um but Brazil just looked completely rattled. They had no idea what to do with that 
you know, crazy, crazy tactics and um, and crazy formation. Like, they just were lost completely in the first half. And by the time they started to figure it out in the second half, it, they were down 2-0 and it was too big of a hole to sort of dig themselves out of. I mean, I don't know. What do you what do you think of that? Yeah, I think Fellaini kind of stuck to his role perfectly by just battering the defense and always being a that kind of nuisance, that, that strong presence. You know, he's a big guy. And he, you know, we always joke about how he's all elbows and knees and everywhere and limbs all over the place. But it's one of the things that as a professional footballer now, you never see. You never see that unattractive, effective, the Sunday league kind of player where they'll just get up in your face. You know, um, players such as like Troy Deeney uh, in the Premier League or maybe someone like Glenn Murray, who Glenn Murray is one of the slowest strikers in the league. But you, you watch him play against defenders and they hate they hate him. Because he's so physical, because he's so much, uh, he's ever present in defence and always in your face, and will always go up strong for every ball and just hit you and gradually wear you down and wear you down and wear you down. And I think Fellaini did that perfectly. Now there's also the luxury that Martinez has. You says about playing the two different systems of having people such as Eden Hazard, Kevin De Bruyne, Romelu Lukaku that you can go, nope, they have played in this position before and played for me, such as with Lukaku on the right. And then KDB just revert into the position he played two years ago, kind of, ish, with being like a centre-attacking midfielder, almost mm-hmm. uh, a yeah. false nine. But then should we need to, we can rotate those and, and just really flummox uh, the Brazilians, who haven't been the most inspiring team. And so I think that's kind of why they got caught out. No, and I think one of the sort of unspoken storylines of this Brazil team and Brazil more generally is that they tend to actually be kind of nervy and they don't know how to respond to adverse situations and things going against them. Kind of like Germany did against Mexico. Name our last World Cup. Name our last World Cup. There you go. You lose one player and that's it. The whole thing crumbles apart and you get absolutely obliterated. Yeah, and we are actually recording today on the four-year anniversary of um, (laughs) 7-1, which is kind of fun to think about but you know they i think that they're a psychologically damaged team i think that that they haven't played in a final since 2002 um they did make those three finals in a row in 94 98 and 02 but that's sort of the ronaldo era the the original brazilian ronaldo um yeah i mean he was play world player of the year in 96 and 97 98, they make the final. They probably would have won the final, but we, he got sick like an hour before kickoff. Yeah, sick concussion, um, passing out. Uh, yeah, and then yeah. he played anyway, but he wasn't, like, you could tell that he wasn't right. And then in 02, he carried them and they won the title that year. But then since he retired, they haven't been even in a final, let alone. Well, not just, not just Brazil, uh, any South American teams. You know, since 2002, the only team that's got to a, a World Cup final from South America or even, sorry, outside Europe is Argentina. Yeah. Uh, yeah and that yeah, was yeah. the last World Cup. Since then, it's just been Europe, Europe, Europe. And, and once Brazil went out, it was right. There you go. The top six teams left in uh, all Europe again. Yeah, absolutely. It's crazy. And I, I wonder to what extent that's starting to get in the head of Brazil. Everybody thinks of them as this powerhouse and they've won the most World Cups ever. Um, but it was really in two runs. You know, the Pele team and then the Ronaldo team make up all five of their World Cup victories. And I think other than those two sort of dynasties or those two eras, they don't react well to things going against them. And I think that they just kind of crumbled 
And you could see it in the second half. I think to me, this match was very much a tale of two halves. Um, in the first half, you know, the shots were nine. Brazil had nine shots and Belgium had seven. And the XG was about even. I think Brazil just narrowly edged Belgium, but not by a lot. But then you get to the second half and Brazil had 17 shots compared to Belgium's one. Right. And um, the XG in the second half was like 2.5 to zero, basically, for for Belgium. Wow. Like it was absurd how much Brazil dominated that second half and the thing that stopped them from winning because they were creating really good chances was finishing and for a brazilian team to not be finishing when they have golden chances like that to me speaks to that sort of mentality of they were flustered they were shook and they they were too nervous too antsy when it came to the final touch and they couldn't put the ball away um that being said i think thibaut courtois was also excellent he had eight eight Hmm. saves um, and when, you know, Brazil generates 2.5 XG and they only concede one goal, you got to give the goalkeeper a bit of credit there. Even if he is taller than the average goalkeeper, right? <laughs> Everybody's giving him shit for that on Twitter. But, oh, I, you know, he deserves a lot of credit. But I think also, like, you look at Brazil and they just were creating chances, but they couldn't put them away because they were so anxious. I think the pressure was just absolutely getting to them. And that's that's the big story to me of, the, yeah. of this Brazil's World Cup. You could you could even say that before because you know the first goal, uh, the the own goal from Fernandinho, like that's uncontested. Yeah, like and that would have even if it wasn't an own goal, it would have been a handball anyway and a penalty because he scored it with his own arm. So, but yeah, that that just shows, and you know, fair enough. Fernandinho hasn't played, and he's stepping into Casemiro's shoes, and Casemiro is is a very very good player, and kind of a, a lot will say very pivotal uh, for Brazil. Um, that's from a lot of people who know that kind of squad much better than I. Um, but coming in, maybe even for him, that is the the sense of occasion, the having to rise to that in a quarterfinal of just two Brazil players without a Belgian player really, from for my memory, within about a meter of them, both go up and then you head it into your own net. Yeah, and it just it just kind of shows there that they they aren't what we believe they are still. You know what yeah. I mean? It's exactly like you said. They had these two powerhouse eras where, yes, they dominated football and arguably could have even done more. But now, what is there really for Brazil? A few Copa Americas in there, um, not really delivering at the World Cup. Yeah, I think really ever well. since sort of Ronaldinho took over that team, took over the spirit of that team and embodied the Brazilian shirt, um, he, to me, was kind of a choke artist. Like, he played beautiful flicks and tricks. But when push came to shove, he didn't win. Um, and it sort of carried on to Neymar now being the next iteration of that. You know, beautiful flicks and tricks. Beautiful player, but doesn't have that sort of cutthroat winning mentality. So, but is there any argument that Brazil were harshly done to? They had a one or two penalty shouts, uh, one involving Neymar, if I remember. I mean, were they harshly done to at all on those? I don't think so, but because even with the VAR coming in, it's referees are, are always supposed to be uh, unbiased and down the line and, and look at every incident um, regardless of who the person is or what other situations leading up to it or anything. However, I think because of the way Neymar is and his play acting and all of those things, yep. it, it is incredibly difficult, especially given how fast-paced the game is, Mm-hmm. How how much pressure there is on referees. It is impossible 
to not kind of favour in that situation, uh, he's probably not bothered. And if he yeah. doesn't get the thing in his ear from VAR saying it's conclusive, then it's not going to be given. And that's the, the failsafe that's there. However, Brazil can't feel hard done by because it's a situation they've created themselves by having the boy who cried wolf. So going into looking ahead to the semifinal then, France versus Belgium, um, Chuck, who do you think is going to... How do you how do you look at that matchup? What do you think is going to come out of that? It, incredibly tough to call this one. There's so there's so many different variants now that we've seen with these teams. Even just looking at like we said with Belgium in the last game against Brazil of what they can do that's different. And and France have been very like we said very defensive and still looked really good on the break. Um, God, I'm I'm looking forward to this game so much. I uh, yeah, I definitely am too. Like, I, I thought I was looking forward to Belgium-Brazil, but seeing this one line up, I think, is way more exciting. And I thought Brazil would get through. Yeah, but when I look at France-Belgium, like you said, it's super hard to call um, because there's so much variability to how they both of those teams play. If France come out um, ready to attack, then I think they can probably play Belgium off, off the pitch because Belgium doesn't have the defense to keep up with the France attackers, especially with how slow Vincent Company is and Kylian Mbappe just running yeah. at him, that's kind of terrifying. Yeah, that's but, one of the biggest questions can be asked for Belgium. Yeah, but I think France are more inclined to play defensive. Um, for whatever reason, that's the system that they decided to play. And so, you know, if, again, if KDB, Hazard, and Lukaku have a day, then they can beat anybody. Uh, even that France defense, which has been so stellar. So it's it's... Really, really hard to call. If I had to guess, though, I would say that Belgium, like Argentina did, although they're not nearly as bad, obviously, will coax France out of their shell and sort of invite them to attack, almost make it irresistible. Um, And by doing so, I think they'll have some good chances. I think it's going to probably be a close match, high scoring. Um, But for me, I'm going to still edge it to France. Um just because, like, if we're looking at all the possible versions, even if it's a shootout, there's a 50-50 shot that France wins because their attackers are just as good. But if it's if, if France stay in their shell, I don't know that Belgium will know what to do. Like, France are a much taller, bigger team, and they have that X factor of Paul Pogba. Um, so I would I would guess France, and I'm going to say 2-1. Uh, to one. I think it's fair. But you, you say about being tall and being powerful. What about Thibaut Courtois? He's so tall and so powerful, Oscar. Yeah, it's unfair. It's unfair how it's tall he is. so unfair how tall he is or how big his nose is. Um, <laughs> it's one of those ones I, I want it I want it to go to extra time because I don't want it to ever end. Yeah. But I also would love for it to be a, some sort of super intense 90-minute just extravaganza of take someone who's never seen the game of football before and sit them down and say, this is the World Cup, this is all or nothing watch this i want it to be that so much i'm gonna go close to you in that i think france will win it but i think france will get it in extra time so i'm gonna say two all in regular time but four three after extra wow okay three goals in extra time yeah mental (laughs) Wow. I'm not even drunk this week, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Yet. I, I don't know. I don't think it can live up to Belgium-Brazil. Belgium-Brazil was such an open 
crazy exciting matchup. Like that whole first half, even though Belgium were up to zero, both teams were just going back and forth, back and forth. And I don't think it can live up to that, to be honest, as much as I want it to. Um, Stimmers, what do you think? What, what What's your prediction for this one? I think you've both called it pretty right, to be honest. I mean, I, I would go 1-1 and going into extra time and France nick it 2-1. Yeah, I can't... Uh... I can't split them, really. I mean, I, I think there's, there's a wafer between them. I really do. There's there's justifications for every single possible outcome in this game. Yeah. And I think that makes it great. And it's not in the, in the negative way, really. It's yeah. just in a, in a positive way that, no, this team could really attack it. No, this team really could. And I just cannot see it being that both of them sit off and be defensive. Yeah, I really hope that's, I really hope that's how it comes down. Um, it'd be a shame. It would be such a shame to watch these two teams play and have it be a boring 90 minutes where France just sits deep and Belgium look frustrated. Um, so I really hope we do get the attacking thing that we want. So that's all three of us picking uh, France to go through, which means that if you are placing your bets now, go ahead and put your money down on Belgium because <laughs> you know there's not a chance that we're all going to be right. That does it for part one of the pod. When we come back after the break, we're going to look at the other two quarterfinals get into England a whole lot, obviously, and then try to make our predictions for what might happen in the final and who might win. So join us after the break. Welcome back to Miles Offside podcast, where we're reaching the very, very, very end of our World Cup preview shows. Well, the last one, actually, to be fair, since we're going to be recording after the final now, where we're talking about the quarterfinals. We've already gone through one game with a few calamities, one game that was pretty much Oscar's game of the tournament, would you say, Oscar? Oh, yeah, hands down. Hands down. There we go. Now the one that me and Ian have really been waiting to talk about. Croatia-Russia? Croatia, Russia, yes, <laughs> right. Oh, what a barn burner. Hold on to your seats, lads, for 50 <laughs> minutes of solid analysis of this one. Uh, it was boring. England, Sweden. Um, oh, oh, Ian. My word. It's coming I home, mean, it's, it's coming home, isn't it? Well, it's, just, it's so hard not to get carried away with the wave of memes that have just been... I've I've never found that sort of thing funny, but I just absolutely loving it. Absolutely loving it. It's not just it's not that I've never found those things funny. It's that I've always got pissed off with them so quickly. And this yeah. one, just every time I see a new one come out, I'm like Shawshank Redemption, tick. Matrix, <laughs> tick. Family yeah, the Guy. Oh, I love the Matrix one. Yeah, the for Matrix sure. one's really good. Oh, it's so good to think that England are in a World Cup semi final. Hey, what did I tell you when you guys got this side of the draw? Huh? I was all happy and you both were like, oh, no way. We can't count anything. And England is going to lose. They'll find a way to bottle it. Blah, blah. Now you're in a semifinal against a team that hasn't looked that good. No, not recently. No, right? The, the Croatia have had one good match. Um, let's, let's get Croatia-Russia out of the way. Croatia had one good match against Argentina. They've played two round of 16 or two knockout matches that have been pretty boring and they haven't looked good. They played down to their opponent's level instead of to what they're actually capable of. Yeah, both gone um, to 120 minutes, both on penalties. Yep, um, the only really good player has been Modric. He's carrying them. Um, Rakitic hasn't been to his to what he can do. Yeah, they haven't really clicked. 
Yeah, they've been pretty bad. If I'm England, I'm licking my lips at the thought of playing Croatia. It's certainly over getting Russia because, you know, Russia also had played to 120 minutes twice, but they have something, and something special going on with them that allows them to recover yeah, a bit faster. Yeah, you're <laughs> alluding to them um, being um, uh, the host nation. That's yeah, right. that's the one. Yeah, 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 that is, yeah that's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. 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 It provides a... A massive boost, it really does. Yeah, yeah, really, yeah. you know, runs through their veins. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know what? Credit to Russia as much as they were probably, you know, doing things that they maybe weren't supposed to. Um, they were supposed to winning. be a terrible they team. They weren't supposed to be winning. They were <laughs> They were supposed <laughs> exactly. to be fucking shit going into this tournament. Yeah. Can I just say, though, that they were, they were lauded as, by the Russian press... It's kind of very similar to England, actually, weirdly. Um, the worst Russia squad that's ever been, the worst host, that this tournament was going to be marred with hooliganism and um, political bullshit. And so they opened the tournament with 5-0 against Saudi Arabia, um, which was astounding. They then smashed the next team 3-1, setting themselves up as the host nation to have scored the most goals and conceded the least. Uh, in the opening two games after, I think, Italy. And then they've knocked out Spain. Granted, in, in between then, they had a really poor performance against Uruguay um, and kind of got took to the cleaners a bit. But you wouldn't really fault them for that because Uruguay had looked good. Um, and then knocked out Spain. Yeah, so, yeah. full credit to Russia. Um, I think they, they did a really good job, made themselves proud as a host nation, doing really well. They were, you know, one terrible terrible sort of attempt at a panenka penalty kick away from making the semi-final can we talk about that first penalty kick it's like just so bad the keeper had time Jeez, to dive what is he miss thinking? it and then look up and be Go like back. oh yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly just one of the worst penalties i like was he actually trying to panenka or did he just like lose it, all strength like in he, his leg he, like bottled it like it was just bizarre it was yeah he he didn't quite go through with it yeah uniquely terrible penalty (laughs) kick um but you know cherishev i think we talked at in one of the earlier episodes about earning yourself a transfer i think he has had an amazing tournament he tied ronaldo for the golden for like the number of goals that he scored he looked fantastic he had those goals two goals on opening day this amazing goal against croatia in this match um but you know Russia had own goal against uh, Uruguay. Um, you know, he scored a bit about both ends. Both ends. He was loving it. <laughs> <laughs> Just loves goals, mate. Just loves goals. Just wants goals, goals, goals. That's all he wants. <laughs> yeah. That reminds me. We had a kid on my basketball team growing up. I played basketball all through like my youth. And we had this one kid where every year at some point in the season, he would like get the ball, get all excited that there was no one on defense run towards the hoop and score only to realize that he, because no one was on defense was the reason that it was our own basket. So like we would pass it to him and he'd be like, Oh my God, wide open. I'm going to run, 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 run and score. And they'd be like, no, stop, stop. You're scoring on us. You're scoring on the wrong team. Kid just loved to score. Right. Um, (laughs) He just loves it. A for effort. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not much else. (laughs) Not much else. (laughs) Um, and I think the same thing we can say of Russia. A for effort. You guys did good. You performed way better than anyone thought you would. But now you're gone. Good riddance. Um, Massively. Great move getting Lance Armstrong as their physio as well. Great move. Yeah. 
Um, but Croatia, Croatia into the semifinal without actually looking good at any point other than one match in the group stage against an Argentina team that turns out we're actually just shit. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, we did, to be fair, yeah, we did call from the start of the tournament that Argentina would be utter dog shit. But Croatia still did have that potential or, or were playing quite well together um, early on, that they looked solid and they could be a threat. And then you kind of get that Argentina game. Uh, and obviously that flatters them a bit. And like we've said, Argentina lost themselves and just kind of gave up towards the end. Um, I think if the goals had started going in earlier, then it could have been 5-0 or so. Yeah. Um, then they, but then they played a Denmark team who, like Denmark, weren't there to play that game. They were there to nick a goal and stop Croatia from scoring. Like that was it. So, when you're playing up up against that shutdown football, um, in the same way potentially as maybe we could say this is if if it was England, it's it is very hard for teams to impress, and it's very easy for them to get worn down. And that now, if they've played that kind of game twice in a row, I just wonder how that can bode for England in the semi-final. Oh, oh, just got a little shiver saying it. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, I think to bring it to England, Sweden, I think that that's a, a an excellent point because Sweden also just showed up to try to defend. Um, they never really looked like attacking or scoring. Yeah, but no, yeah, no point did they change it up. No, no. If I was a Sweden fan, I'd be furious at the just lack of changing it up. When, especially, I mean, when you go two goals down, there, there was half an hour left. They still had time to do something, and they, they didn't. They just didn't do anything. Yeah, my brother texted me at halftime, and he goes, "So when are Sweden kicking off? I know England's out there, but yeah, which I thought was <laughs> hilarious because Sweden really just never like." At all tried. No, they were just ev- dead. Everyone was talking about, you know, England potentially underestimating Sweden, but maybe Sweden underestimated England underestimating Sweden. <laughs> In a weird kind of inception of underestimation. <laughs> underestimation vortex. And yes. we underestimated England under- underestimating Sweden who underestimated somebody. Or I lost track of it there. But to England's credit, they put the, bed- they put the game to bed. 2-0. Croatia couldn't do it, as we talked about, against two teams that weren't really good. And England, you had talked about earlier as being worrisome that they couldn't put the game away, put the game to bed. Well, here, 2-0, never had to exert themselves. They're going to be very well rested for that semifinal. Um, and they they clear and obvious winners the whole the whole game, the whole way through. I mean, we joked, we joked last time, but it did feel like it was never in doubt, this one. I mean, like... People who don't know football might have been nervy in the first ten minutes, but that was just that was just you know both teams finding their feet. And after that, it was genuinely never in doubt. I never felt like it was going to be a, a problem this one. And that wasn't classic English arrogance. That that was just looking at the game and going, they do not look like doing anything. This is not going to be a problem. And that was bizarre to watch a game yeah, like that, especially not it counterpointed was... by. Oh, England looked like they're a bit shaky at the back and could just give the ball yeah. away at any one point. Lose it at, at any least, moment. Yeah. At least it was happening the other end, and and you know we were going to come onto this at some point. But with Sterling missing a couple of guilt edge chances, um, uh, kind of very close together, um, and not putting them away when England were already one nil up, um, which I thought was a big shame. Um, but the way he played, I thought, was integral to to keeping the game. 
firmly yeah. on England's side. You know, it's it's not about. I think you don't have to have the greatest knowledge of the game to understand that it's not just about the person who has the ball, or it's not just yeah. about putting the ball in the back of the net. Sterling making all of those runs and getting into those situations meant Sweden could never, ever, ever push up. He took two players with him most of the time because they were yeah. so scared of him. Yeah, there you go. He was so fast running in behind. You know, shades of Kylian Mbappe against um, Argentina just looked so dangerous. And yeah, he he didn't happen to put those chances away. Um, and everybody talks about, oh, it's been so long since he hasn't, he hasn't scored for England in a long time. Um, but if you look at, there's another, just to go full stats nerd on you guys, um, we've already talked about XG or expected goals as being a good way to measure a team's performance and the quality of chances that they created. Um, but there's a sort of building off of XG, there's this new newer metric called XG chain, which essentially okay. goes like this. It's a, it's a way of measuring... And it's in its nascent stages. It's not fully developed the way XG is, but it's a way of measuring an individual player's performance within the context of a team. And so the idea is that let's say there's a shot that is worth 0.4 XG when the shot gets taken. What XG chain does is it contributes the number 0.4 to every single player up the chain of possession that was involved in that play. So starting with, let's say it was a goal kick, the keeper gets 0.4 towards his number. And the midfielders, who all, everyone who touched the ball gets 0.4 towards their numbers. Um, and you, like when I first heard of it, I was like, oh, that everyone's XG chain is just going to be through the roof. That's not going to be that useful of a measure. Um, but it's been proven over the course of the last season, because it's a really new metric, to show that actually the guys who get the most assists and the guys who score the most goals also have the highest XG chain and the and your defensive midfielders who aren't really there for their creative play and for their attack don't have that high of XG chain because they're not involved in as high of a percentage of attacks. Um, and so it doesn't actually favor incorrectly certain players. Um, and the reason I bring it up is if you look at the XG chain numbers for this England squad, both through qualifying and at this World Cup, Raheem Sterling is actually... At the top. Um, hmm. And so even though he hasn't been putting goals away or even getting assists necessarily, his involvement in the way that they play and the way that they go about creating chances is more integral than any other player on that England squad, including Harry Kane. Um, and so, you know, I mean, he, he has been maybe unlucky, maybe bad with his finishing. He has... I think 1.25 XG shooting created and he hasn't and he obviously hasn't scored a goal so that's significantly underperforming that but his using those more advanced metrics you can see that his involvement is vital really vital to the way that they go about playing um and so for us like we you know we talked about this last time we do officially ride or die for Raheem Sterling like he is one of the official players of this podcast and and despite those two chances that he wasted I still think that he was one of the most important players on the pitch that day for England. Absolutely. I think that's very, very interesting. Also, very good use of the word nascent there. I enjoyed that. Thank oh, thank you. you. Yeah. Um, and I, I think you're exactly right. And I think, again, it's going to be the fashionable thing to pick on Sterling. But you look at Kane, who is on for the golden boot, and a stat came up, I think after, yeah, it must have been the Columbia game. 
Colombia was the last time he scored. Um, six goals from six shots on target. But three of them are penalties, two kind of tapping-y, and one of his goals, obviously I don't think this counts as a shot on target, was from Loftus-Cheek's shot, which hit him on the back heel. Massively deflects and goes in um, yeah. against Panama. But no one's criticising Kane for not really being in the right position. No one's criticising Kane for the fact that the most integral part of his play for England has been his hold-up, similar to what we were saying earlier with Lukaku and how he allows people to... Being very, very selfless um, at times to to allow the rest of the team to 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 catch up to him and, and play them in, and that's why Sterling is getting these looks. And it means that you create a bit more of a dynamic threat. A lot of people will say, oh, well, if Sterling's missing this, well, we need to change the game plan. Well, no, you don't. Because that game plan is part of another game plan where, okay, so if they if they do always mark up Sterling, great. That means we're going to free up someone elsewhere and we start to play slightly differently. Or if it means that they double up on Sterling, well, guess what? Harry Kane's still going to be there in the middle. And then what are they going to do if he starts advancing up? Are they going to put two on him? Instantly, you've got four defenders on two attackers. There's going to be space everywhere. And so I think... Southgate playing that way and allowing Sterling to express himself in a way that has been hugely, hugely built by Guardiola over the last year means that people should really just fucking lay off him. <laughs> like, don't worry too much about those two. Like, in the moment, of course, like, you're gutted because you think, oh, it's right there. And you still have that feeling of, oh, it's England. Like, I, I still feel, Oscar, you know, you saying about us earlier and... and being so critical of England being on this side of the bracket and it being like, well, it doesn't matter. But that's because we've never had any reason whatsoever to get excited by the England team, ever. But I just think it's it's great to finally have a team that you can get behind and you can see that something there is working. And I think even though once we got through to that side of the bracket and people said, oh, well, this is England's best chance ever, I think we should still look at it with the eyes that we had pre-tournament that if England do really well in this competition which no one can say England haven't now you have to be happy with it and that's it and I think every single one of those players can walk out of this tournament with their heads held high and know that they've made a huge impact to people like me Joe Public who would never watch an England friendly game and could not give a shit before and I think that is very, very telling of, of what Southgate and what, and what those players have done. Yeah, absolutely. I think you have to get give like so much credit to Gareth Southgate um, for, you know, we see it. Other managers, weaker managers or older, more conservative managers might be pulling Sterling for missing that chance or pulling Kane for not really getting that many chances off inside the box. But Southgate has the tactical awareness or the understanding that they are doing more than just the obvious things. Um, they're playing yep. within a system, and there are knock-on effects to the things that they do. Um, and I think that he's he's been... You know, I guess Bobby Martinez had an amazing performance against Brazil, but for the most part, he's just been letting the players do what they do. Whereas Southgate has, has these guys working in very specific and excellent ways. And we've talked a lot about, like, New Look England... They're not just trying to shoehorn stars into positions. They're actually finding players that do certain things in certain ways for the system that they want to play. And I think that to Gareth Southgate's credit, I think to me at least, 
the three best players for England so far have been Jordan Pickford, Harry Maguire, and Kieran Trippier. And if we look at those three guys, like none of them are superstars by any measure. I think your casual football fan from another country has probably never heard of Harry Maguire, doesn't know who a team Jordan Pickford plays for, right? Like you look at Kieran Trippier and he doesn't even start for his club. But meanwhile, in the England setup, he's been vital to his delivery from the right side to the way that they play. Like those three guys, at least for me, have been hands down the three best players as much as Sterling and Kane have been doing what they need to do. And that's so different than what we ever would have seen before for England. Absolutely. And you can see that getting that far in in the competition as well and and some of the results we've had, the fact that you pick three guys at the back is incredible. But I think you can pretty much pick out every single individual player and sing their praises or say that they've contributed in one way, shape or another. Yeah, I think the only... Because I have to kind of include Jesse Lingard in that. (laughs) (laughs) Even though if you want my thoughts about Jesse Lingard, see the last episode. I still haven't changed my mind on that. The only thing I'm still concerned about, even if he, he got the goal, was Deli Alley. Yeah, I was about to say the the only player I think yeah. in, in that eleven is Deli Alley. I still think and there's no way any of these guys lose their spots at this point, no. right? Like they're nailed. They're you know you and Gareth Southgate would be crazy to change anything. Um, yeah. But I do think that like in a different world, Loftus Cheek would be the better option there given what Deli Alley has actually yeah. done, despite scoring a goal. Stimers, you want to chime in a bit? I hear you in the background there. Well, I wonder, I wonder whether they... Yeah, because you're absolutely right. Of course, he's going to start the same 11. It would be crazy to do otherwise. But I, I think if he plays Ali and nothing's uh, really happening at the hour mark, then he's going to hook him. And uh, Well, he, uh, he ought to. He ought to, but I don't think he would. That's, no? the, that's the one thing we do say about Southgate is he doesn't really bring on subs very early. I think it's become a real mm. big thing for a lot of managers. I know, speaking from personal experience with like Hodgson at Palace... Now, granted, we've had like massive in- we had like massive injury problems or stuff like that. But when you're making your first substitution at sort of 80, 82, 83 minutes, you start to wonder, well, what actual impact can that player have? Like, granted, it's going to put a bit of fear into the teams if in the 80th minute when we're chasing a goal, we put on Vardy because he's just going to be up for it with anyone. And he's going to want to attack every defender. He's going to want to go after every ball. But that's only 10 minutes. Like, I, I always find, like, you need to give people sort of 70th minute. If it's a true impact player, you really need to bring them on in about the 70th minute or so so that they get up to the speed of the game and can and can hurt them. Whilst the other teams are still lagging, they pick up in about the 20th minute. Yeah, they I mean, to me, to Ruben is not a, an impact sub. I think Ruben is at his best when he gets to start the match and sort of build into it and see what the tempo of all the other players are. Whereas when he comes in and everyone else is already in the middle of it or maybe coming down towards the end of the match, um, you're not going to get the best out of Ruben Loftus-Cheek. You know, so to me, the more impact sub option, if we're replacing Delhi, would be in a situation where you're trying to protect the lead and you bring on, like, Eric Dyer to sort of shore up the midfield mm. next to Henderson. Um, but he'd be crazy to change anything. Um, yeah. I think Sweden was a particularly excellent matchup for England at the quarterfinal stage after the drama of the penalties where they're going to need a more sort of level-headed, relaxed match to sort of come down from that high but still get a win. 
and not, and and not be feel... getting fucking punched and kicked and headbutted across the park. Yeah, yeah, because then right. they're not going to do that. Yeah, yeah. And if you look at the tactical setups here, Sweden play like the most old school conservative four four two. You know, yeah. four defenders across, four midfielders across, two of them wide, and then two big absolute units uh, in attack. Yeah. And if you look at England setup, they play the three four three, so three center backs, four across, and then three attackers. Um, historically, if you read Jonathan Wilson um, in his awesome book, Inverting the Pyramid, which I do recommend for anyone who's into tactics and sort of getting into soccer for the first time, or it hasn't really read up on the history of tactics before, um, the three four three was specifically invented to counteract and negate the four four two. Mm-hmm. Um, back in the 80s, I think, if I'm getting that right, maybe late 70s. Um, and so for England to get a matchup against a very conservative 4-4-2 after those penalty kicks and when they kind of want to want to take it easy and go into the semifinal pretty well rested was perfect, right? Like that exactly played out the way you would expect a 3-4-3 versus 4-4-2 to play out, especially given that England are the more naturally talented players. Mm. Yeah, and there's a, there's a lot of fluidity in that back line, and I was quite confused at first with playing um, with the England back three being Stones, Maguire, and Walker in there. Bearing in mind, Walker traditionally is the guy who would be bombing down the wings because he he's yeah. got a lot of pace on him and he's very good. But you know, now having seen it, it makes perfect sense because they can all kind of play the similar role together in that. Well, you never know which one is going to go forward with the ball, and it does seem to be Maguire. More. They're all happy on the ball as they're, well. They are. They're all very, very comfortable. So it means that they can play that ball out. You know, Harry Maguire's got a good touch. Stones hasn't had any heart in mouth moments for me. Walker had one against Colombia, and but yeah. he, he absolutely pelted back for yeah. that. <laughs> Did yeah, he, he really knew he had fuck it. He <laughs> fucked up there. Um, yeah. So it's great to see. Actually, that again, in another way of just being shut up and it working. You know, we said on the last last episode how good Maguire's looked and how good here, and someone maybe even thought that maybe he was going to score the goal. <laughs> um, can't remember now who it was. Um, yeah, well, well, we know you can't remember. Yeah, well, he's got a massive head, didn't he? We got. Yeah, that's very true. He's got a massive head. Of course, he should have scored a header. Of course, he was yeah. going to thump one in. But yeah, I just think I just think all all across the park, England have done exceptionally well. And I think no, no matter what happens from here, that's it. It's it's a win and it's a great tournament for England. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. One thing I will say that I thought though, so England, Ian, it would be good to get your feelings on this as a fellow Englishman. Do you think your feelings after the Columbia game massively outweighed your feelings after the Sweden game? Because it almost seemed like the win after Sweden was a bit of an anticlimax. Bizarrely, yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was the penalties. That's the thing, um, and the sort of it felt. You know, we'd been roughed up all game. They should not. You know, it would have been a massive injustice. Maybe not massive. I might be overselling that, but it would have been an injustice if <laughs> no, it would won. have been fucking ludicrous. Yeah. Tell them. <laughs> Yeah. I just realised that I was getting all England about it. <laughs> but uh, but um, it would have been an injustice if they'd have won. You know, the added time that they scored their goal in was only because it took three minutes for Harry Kane to take the penalty because they're, <laughs> they're messing around. So it was like, it, yeah, to, to get, as we said last episode, to get the monkey off our back and everything was so important. And yeah, I was absolutely buzzing after that. Like, 
Yeah, I mean, I suppose a little bit because Sweden didn't come out. We just did what we had to do. And it there is still a disbelief that we're in a semi-final. So it's just sort of, yeah, doesn't feel quite like it did after the Columbia game. But I, just, I think a good portion of that is disbelief. Yeah, it really is. Well, and, and it's hard to match the high of, like, finally getting the penalty kicks thing out of the way, right? Like, that, yeah, yeah. even if that was around earlier, like, that's such a stressful moment as a fan, independent of the history that England have with penalty kicks. Like, there is, yeah, yeah. it's so, so emotionally intense to have to go through penalty kicks, win or lose. Uh, it's, it's weird, because we were, we were watching uh, Croatia, Russia in, in my house, and um, my, my wife was like, Jesus, I'm I'm watching penalties and I don't feel sick. And it was like, yeah, it's <laughs> it, it, it's weird, isn't it? <laughs> it's just like, I mean, I I like it just from the spectacle aspect, just because, like you say, the first Russian penalty, you are able to watch that and just go, what the fuck was he thinking? And I just love <laughs> stuff like that. It's just you know, it's it's great because you you'll always get moments like that where someone bizarrely tries to put their individual sort of flair or whatever above just doing what the team wants you to do and I, yeah. I mean there's nothing else there's no other way to decide it I don't think it's so. kind of a yeah. very concentrated moment of seeing into like a player's soul almost oh totally you massively see so you're such an egotistical twat that you would do that and put like when literally the whole I mean it was an Broadcasting wise, for the England game, it was something like an eighty-seven percent share of the TV audience. What would that have been in Russia? I mean, Christ knows. And and he he does that for the first penalty. I mean, Jesus Christ, just where he's probably probably um got something else helping his ego out. But I I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to say. It's hard to say. (laughs) Yeah. So looking ahead then to the semi-final, uh, England Croatia. Um, how are you guys feeling? For me, I. Croatia is going to be so dead tired and they haven't looked impressive at all. Whereas England looked like they put Sweden away comfortably and are, have their batteries fully charged. It's, I think it's England for me. Um, but how are you guys as England fans feeling ahead of that? Pessimistic. Cause that's what we do. <laughs> I'm buying into Oscar's team of destiny thing. Certainly for the time being, at least, I mean like, yeah, everything feels like it's going the right way. Croatia will be tired. They didn't look great. Uh, what I'd sort of half watched the Croatia Russia game and was just like, we shouldn't have a problem with either of these teams. And yeah, now, like you say, it's Croatia. We've had 220 minute games. It's yeah. hard not to feel good about it. It is. Yeah, it's weird that in that situation, you'd actually, pref- I think, I tried to think of which team I'd rather play. And it's weird yeah. that I actually thought Croatia would be. It was weird because I yeah go into the game thinking oh it'd be great if Russia go through you know easily the weaker team but the more it went on you were just like I don't, I don't know who I want I, no. not a clue I think Russia with all the highs you know being written off getting through the group all the knocking highs, out yeah. Spain yeah <laughs> yeah yeah if they'd have <laughs> you know they knocked out Spain if they'd have then knocked out Croatia and then been in a semi final in their home nation with the world watching like the fuck would I want to play that yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You can't you can't really downplay that factor. I, I I think you guys are exactly right. If I was an England fan, I would be absolutely preferring to play are, Croatia. Man. Yeah, fuck off. <laughs> yeah. I'm definitely not. We'll take you on. We'll take you on. You are. I did find myself rooting for you, which was incredibly frustrating. Because you're coming home. When I was watching the Sweden match, I was like, got excited when He's he coming scored, home, Jack. and I was He's like, coming God home. damn it! Because you're coming home. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so USA yeah, to so Germany think, to Iceland to 
Yeah, there's a lot of teams. Um, <laughs> no, the, the the team that I'm very much rooting for is Belgium. Because the Chelsea connection, Hazard, Courtois, Batshuayi on okay. the bench. Um, if I'm going to give a score prediction for this, which we should, uh, I'm going to say... I'm going to give it another 2-0 to England. Another 2-0? You didn't say 2-0 England last time, I'm pretty sure. No, I'm saying pretty they, sure they you beat... said England on penalties. Ian went 2-0 England, didn't you? I did. I yeah, did. you got the yeah. score right so, on that one. So I got one score right. You got one score right. Mm-hmm. Oscar didn't get a score right. <laughs> no, but I am the only one who called Belgium beating Brazil, which is... I'm going to hold on to that at least. <laughs> yeah, but I called Harry Maguire goal. Yeah. So, <laughs> so then call something here. What do you got? 3-0 to England. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I'm going big. I think... Okay. It, I think... Similar to like the Sweden game, I think Croatia will kind of... Obviously, they've got a lot more talent than Sweden, of course, but I think they'll be kind of cautious at the start. I think England will get another goal, probably from a set piece. Almost certainly, probability states. It, it, it's not that impressive of a prediction with that one, if I'm right. Like, yeah. I, will, I will admit <laughs> that one if England score from a set piece. Um, but I just think then Croatia will attack it and the game will become a bit more open, but I just think England will see it more. Yeah, let's embrace the fact that we've we've had the rubber to green so far and set myself fully up to have the rug pulled out underneath me. But <laughs> it's coming home, so I love it. We still Oscar believe. said, "How are you feeling about this match?" And Chuck said, "Pessimistic, three <laughs> <laughs> nil." God, imagine if he was feeling optimistic. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh no, I'm part Croatian, guys. This is this is. Oh, did we not? Oh. Uh, that's that's where it was going. Ian, what are you saying? Um. I reckon, not as optimistic, I, I do think we win, but I think we probably nick it 1-0, and I think we take a while to break them down, but it will happen. But I just, yeah, I just think we nick it 1-0. Are we saying Harry Maguire on a corner and Harry Payne, Harry Kane penalty? Raheem Sterling, two goals. Wow. I'm saving okay. my Raheem Sterling goal for the final. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh, oh redemp- that redemption story. Be, oh, my God. The flames pouring out of the ears of the Sun newspaper editors would <laughs> yeah. just be fucking phenomenal. No, you know they would pretend that they liked them all along, too. Oh, yeah, of course they will. They'll go National full National hero, turncoat. we always loved them. Oh, oh, as totally. they scramble for some other way. Oh, Raheem Sterling yeah. dives into burning building and saves 20 children. What a prick. You know, they'll go for, like, <laughs> stupid shit like that. Like, oh... Was oh scoring God. a goal in the World Cup final when someone was in a burning building in England. Yeah. And he didn't save them. But he still hasn't given us answers about Grenfell. Oh. <laughs> you know, right, so yes. let's, let's, uh, that's a good segue then. Let's, let's talk about the actual final because we're not going to be able to preview it after the semis. I think we all picked France, England to go through their semifinals. So let's talk about the final. If it's France versus England, how are you guys feeling about that? If you're going to win the World Cup, you've got to beat someone good sometime. And we haven't had to yet. I'd, yeah. I I mean, I don't know. It would be... I'd be on such a high just from being in a final. I mean, that, that'd just be ridiculous. But I've, I've, I'd have to say with my head that France are going to beat us. Yep. But, you know, I shan't be putting any money on that because I don't want to be rooting for it in any way whatsoever. But... I think something quite special would have to happen. And this has been the World Cup of quite special things happening. Mm. But yeah, something quite special would have to happen for us to beat France, I think. Yeah, I think I, th- I think you're, you've, you've nailed it exactly there. I think whether it wouldn't necessarily feel like a bridge too far and I don't think we couldn't make a good game of it. 
No, I think our confidence levels would would mean that we would play up to the occasion. I, I, yeah, I think I do, so. I, but... think, I think we could give it. Yeah, we could give a really really good game of it. But yeah, there's. See, I don't know whether it's not being objective or not saying that England couldn't do it. I mean, the fact is, France are the bookies' favourites to win the thing um, now with four teams in. So, of course, if it did go to a France England final, then France would be the favourites um, to win it. Well, to me, looking from the outside in, I think you are, you know, you're right. You did say France are the favorites. Um, if you look at the 538 statistical model, France are at 29% to win the whole thing. England are in second place with 27%, so not that far behind. Ooh, wow. Okay. Bloody yeah. hell, that is... T- and ahead but, of Belgium, Belgium again, at 26%. Yeah, but, but that's because France would be favorites against Belgium, though, as well, of course. Right, like, exactly. Yeah, but still, I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. that surprises me. But, um, yeah, okay. but if I'm England, I think I would rather have France than Belgium. Um, yep. Just given the particular styles of play and the particular matchups, you know, we talked about France almost playing down to their opponent's level while controlling the match. Um, not mm-hmm. not the way that Croatia have played down to their opponent's level and been terrible, but France don't look to smash their opponents and play to their best every time. They look to be efficient and... They, it's almost like they want to match you at your own game and beat you. Right. That's, and so you're right. That's what it seems like. As England, looking at a defensive-minded France, who would be more than happy to let them have the ball and then try to get some set pieces, that's the kind of match where like one set piece or one corner kick gets you a goal, and all of a sudden you're in the final and you have a lead. Whereas Belgium, if England go up against Belgium, and for the record, I do think that like objectively, with my head, France or Belgium are both better teams than England and would would have to be like the rational favorite although mm-hmm. I do stand by my whole team of destiny thing um, but if you're looking at playing Belgium in the final if if you know because we said France Belgium could really be a coin flip if Belgium make it through and you're looking at England Belgium in the final I do worry that that's the kind of team that can finally actually make England pay for their lack of open play creativity um, although the narrative in that case, like to get Belgium versus England, the match that you were supposed to get at the end of the group yeah. stage that everyone had circled <laughs> yeah. in their calendar That's and crazy. both teams threw out their B squads and it was a rubber dead useless match to have them actually go at each other in the final would be super, super, super cool and exciting. And I think everybody would just be super into it. Um, but, you know, like you look at Belgium's front three, De Bruyne, Lukaku and Hazard. They're not going to be afraid of going up against Maguire, Stones, and Walker at the back, right? Like, they play those guys, and they beat those guys week in and week out in the Premier League. Whereas the French guys won't know the English team as well, and I think it would be a much more cagey match. The Belgian squad, most of them play in England, right? Other than Witzel, that starting 11 is... Eight or nine of them play in in the Premier League regularly from that match against Brazil. So they're not going to be slow getting into that match. They're going to go right at England. They're going to attack them. And they're going to know how to break that team down with the particular players that they have. And so if I'm England, I'm very much hoping for France to go through. Because either way, you're the underdog. But I think against France, their tactical setup and their style of play suits England better in a 90-minute match where you're just kind of hoping that one goal here or there wins you the whole thing, whereas Belgium are just going to... I could easily see Belgium cutting through England. 
Yeah, and France have you know France slipped up with Euro uh, Euro twenty sixteen. Yeah, against, final against Portugal. Portugal. And this England team are better than that Portugal team were. Mm. Oh God, that gives me cause for optimism. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I know that's the <laughs> dangerous thing. Um, just out of curiosity, I I looked it up and. There has actually been one instance of two teams being in the same World Cup group and then meeting each other in the final. Was it 1930? Uh, no. Well, obviously in 30, it's like really early ones. I can't really comment on them because they're not the same form. But 1962, Brazil versus Czechoslovakia. Oh, okay, okay. That huh. clash of titans, I guess. <laughs> uh, Brazil won it. So there we go. Yeah. That's when we were talking about the age of Pele earlier. Um, but I think that would be so, so... He struggles to get a semi. (laughs) (laughs) Good one. He actually advertised for Viagra adverts. Yeah, that's clearly the joke there. (laughs) I just thought he was. Thanks for catching up. (laughs) Fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so let's get our final official predictions for the three big things: the winner, the golden ball, and the golden boot. Um, I'll start us off. I think that. You know, my my head says France or Belgium, depending, probably France. But my heart says England, so I'm going to put England down to win the whole thing. Um, And Harry Kane with the golden boot, because I don't think Lukaku's going to catch him. And the golden ball to... Oof, that's a tough one. I'm going to say Harry Maguire. No, it's never a defender. No, it's that was never going to be a defender. <laughs> yeah, is it? yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a stupid pick. You'd like uh, Harry Kane. It would be Harry Kane, right? That's the Harry answer. Kane. So lifting all golden three. Golden ball and golden boot. I'm going to go with. Uh, it's hurt so much. You don't want. I think if it, it if it goes to the final, then it's going to be France. Um, I think. I think they just edge it out. Um, golden boot, Mitrovic, obviously. Oh, sorry. That was that was week one. Sorry, sorry. Sticking um, with it. Sticking with it. Sticking with it. Still, still hope he could still come in. Um, yeah, got. I still can't see. I think Kane's Kane's two ahead of Lukaku, isn't he? Yeah, six to four. And that's kind yeah. of that's the closest there is. I can't see Lukaku scoring three more than Kane. So yeah, I go with Kane, Golden Boot, and Golden Ball. Golden Ball's tough because there hasn't really been in the in the four teams that are left. There hasn't really been any sort of shining star, has there? Yeah, I think really like, they've all a, they've all got there off of great team performances. It's a weird game to try to predict because like there's who do you think has actually been the best player, and then there's who do you think is gonna FIFA win the Golden Ball? Because you yeah, could you could me, argue that Lukaku. top three, you could say top three, probably well no probably top two. Lukaku and Mbappe, maybe with Kane behind, mm. simply for the numbers. Yeah, or Pogba. Um, Don't sleep on Pogba either. Or Pogba, yeah, he's been good. Um, I think these games kind of define it. I think if France goes yeah, through... Yeah, they do. Um, but last time it was Messi, wasn't it? And they looked a very... Cut a very forlorn figure as he stood up there as yeah. mm-hmm. Argentina nearly won it, but he got the golden ball. Yeah, the um, actual best player for me has been Lukaku. Yeah. Um, but I don't think there's any way he wins the golden ball. No, I'm unless the, he scores I, I like a hat trick against France, but yeah, it's I, I I'm gonna go with one, but uh, you know, it's there's so many ifs, buts, and whatever. But I am gonna go with Lukaku, I think. Okay, and Stimmers. Um, I mean, 
yeah, I've got to go with my head, so it's got to be France, as much as it annoys me. Kane for the uh, golden boot, and oh, it does. You're right; it does sort of depend a lot on the semis and so forth. But I'll go for Mbappe for the golden ball. All right, and there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That concludes our World Cup finals preview. The next time we hear from everybody, we will be on the other side of the end. We'll know if England won or not, and the World Cup will be over. Yeah. Oh, I don't I don't want to talk about it. That's I know, weird. be sad. It's been a great month. Really been a great month. <laughs> oh, it's been so fucking good. Yeah. We do really uh, want to thank everyone who has jumped on board early with our podcast. Hopefully you've been enjoying our World Cup coverage. We are gonna keep going after the World Cup. Um we'll nominally be like a Premier League podcast, maybe a bit of Champions League in there as well. But as the name indicates, we are gonna also go off topic, talk about, you know, Star Wars movies or music or you know whatever's going on in our lives different things um yeah let's not get too far into star wars com- conversations because i've got some very hot takes yeah that, yeah we've, we've had a few of those conversations very angry about <laughs> strident yeah. views if we want to keep this podcast going maybe we'll we'll stay away from that a bit <laughs> spoiler alert most overrated franchise of all time listenership halved but yeah that about does it so good luck to england Thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, that's a goodbye from me, Ian. Goodbye. And Chuck? It's coming home. Please. Maybe. It really Please. is. Possibly. <laughs> Maybe. All right. Right. See ya. See ya. See ya.